Welcome to our Holden Village podcast. For over 50 years now, Holden Village has traveled a rich history of faith that has transformed a copper mining town into a vibrant place of education, programming, and worship. Holden has sought to welcome all who seek contemplation and community in the remote wilderness of the beautiful Cascade Mountains. We continue to invite people of all ages to come alongside our rhythms, which inspire and equip travelers for a sustainable life of faith outside the village. And we continue to listen and reflect on our story and history and seek to discover our place in God's creative mission in our world. Our podcasts are a way of sharing our conversations with our teaching faculty around reformation, the reforming of our relationships with the earth with each other, and with a divine. Let's tune in and join the conversation. Hi, my name is Catherine Schifferdecker. Uh, I teach Old Testament at Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, and I'm here at Holden for the week and wanted to share just a bit of my work with the book of Job, which was my topic in my teaching at, at Holden. Job is a complex book and sophisticated book theologically, and there's no way I can do it justice in five or ten minutes. But I wanted to talk about one particular aspect of Job and how it relates to uh, to care for the environment or care for creation. The whirlwind speeches in Job, which are Job chapters 38 through 41, these are the two speeches that God speaks at the very end of the book or close to the end of the book when all the human participants have had their say, and God shows up in a whirlwind and speaks to Job, and instead of responding to Job's questions about his suffering and about questions of justice, God instead kind of takes Job on this whirlwind tour of creation, pun intended there, and and shows him, moves from, from meteorology and cosmology to zoology to mythology, and he shows him these wild spaces and creatures of the world over which Job has no control. And and God asks a number of questions like, are you able to do this? Or do you know? Or where were you when I created the world? And it seems at first read as if God is kind of lambasting Job over the head with creation. I don't read the the whirlwind speeches that way. I think that they are invitational rather than confrontational. And that God in the whirlwind speeches is inviting Job to humility, to learn his place in the world, that he, that human beings, including he, are not the center of creation, but that they are part of this vast and varied and beautiful whole. I also think that God is inviting Job not just to humility, but to, to wonder, to wonder at the beauty and the complexity and the wildness of creation and to delight in creation as, as God does. Now, this is obviously a really pertinent text, I I would say, for our current ecological age, when we know that our place in creation has been one of domination and exploitation and has led to both current harm and future harm for the other creatures of creation. So I think Job is, is uniquely pertinent and relevant for our day and age. And I want to spend just a few minutes talking about uh, one particular way in which I see that. I think when we talk about, when the church talks about its care for creation, and the church, to our shame, has been a latecomer to this conversation, that the conversation about caring for the earth really started outside the church. But we're, we're catching up, and we've 
we talk a lot about it now, or at least in some circles we do. And, and often we use the term stewardship for talking about our role in creation or our relationship to creation. And stewardship is a great concept and a great theme to explore about human beings being stewards of all that God has given us, including the natural world. We're given Earth's abundance to sustain us, and we in turn are to tend it wisely as good stewards. God provides food in abundance, but not just for us, it says in Genesis 1. In, to every animal of the earth and to every bird of the air and to every creeping thing on the earth, everything that has the breath of life in it, I am giving every green plant for food. That's Genesis 1.30. God provides not just for us human beings, but for every creature that God has made. If we are stewards of the earth, then, it's not for our sake alone, but for the sake of everything that has the breath of life, as Scripture says, so that every creature has enough to live. Stewardship is a useful way of thinking about our relationship with the rest of creation. It implies that we don't own what we have been given. It implies that we are caretakers of a precious gift on behalf of the true owner. It implies that we simply use what we need and conserve the gift for those who come after us. And these are all great biblical insights. God tells the Israelites who are about to enter the promised land that no family or individual among them can accumulate too much land. Any land that has been sold because of economic hardship must be returned or redeemed in the Jubilee year to the family who sold it. In Leviticus 25, that's the law of Jubilee. And the reason that Land cannot be sold forever is this. God says the land shall not be sold in perpetuity because the land is mine. You are sojourners and tenants with me. That's Leviticus 23. If the true owner of the land is God, then we use the land only for a time. And then we we are given stewardship of it only for a time. And then it passes to others after us. And good farmers obviously have always known this truth, to to conserve the land, to be good stewards of the land in order to pass it along to those future generations. So stewardship is a good and useful way of thinking about our relationship with the rest of creation, and it has strong biblical roots. But it's not the only way of conceptualizing that relationship of of humanity to creation. I, I would argue that justice is another way of speaking about our relationship with the rest of the natural world, and that concept has biblical roots as well. In the whirlwind speeches to Job in particular, God speaks to Job and challenges him to control any of the wild creatures that God has has shown him here, including the wild donkey and the wild ox. We know from the first chapter of the book that Job was the owner of 500 donkeys and a 1,000 oxen. At the end of the book, then, in the whirlwind speeches, God introduces, introduces Job to the wild cousins of his domesticated livestock. The wild donkey ranges across the wasteland free of any restraint and laughing at the city, the tumult of the city, that quintessential human habitation. Likewise, in the whirlwind speeches in chapter 38, God says the wild ox will neither plow Job's fields nor be kept in Job's barns. These animals, unlike their domestic cousins, have nothing to do with human beings. Their existence is one of wild freedom. And how much more is this the case for the creatures that God describes later in the, his, the second speech? Behemoth is a primeval land creature with bones like bronze and limbs like irons. And Leviathan, that legendary sea dragon, laughs at human weapons which bounce off its impenetrable skin. Of the former, of Behemoth, God says, Look now at Behemoth, which I made along with you. And of Leviathan, God says, He surveys all who are raised up. He is king over all who are proud.
These animals, wild and free, have nothing to do with human beings. They won't serve humanity. They won't consent to being humanity's pets. Behemoth is made with Job, or just in the way that Job was made. Job and Behemoth have the same creator. Even more erratically, Leviathan, not Job, is king over all who are proud, a creature not to be trifled with. God says, lay your hand on him, and you will not long remember the battle. The wild creatures of the first God speech and the two mythological creatures of the second speech inhabit a world quite outside human civilization and completely beyond the sphere of human influence. To speak of Job's relationship to these wild creatures in terms of stewardship simply misses the point. How can he be a steward of something over which he has no control? And how can he take care of creatures who neither need nor desire such care, creatures who who scorn humanity and its inventions? I think the operative word for talking about humanity's relationship to the wild creatures described in the whirlwind speeches of Job, the operative word is justice, not stewardship. The speeches describe a world in which humanity does not occupy the central position, a world that is radically non-anthropocentric. Humanity has a place in that world, to be sure. Job, after all, is the only passenger on this grand tour of the cosmos. But that place is not what Job or we thought it was. The world does not revolve around us. We are not the center of the universe. The world instead is made for the delight of its creator, and it's full of wild, strange, and fierce creatures, creatures who live their whole lives oblivious to us and our and our daily concerns. So if humanity is only one part of a vast and varied whole, then justice demands that we live in such a way that the other creatures God has created with us are allowed to be and become who God created them to be. Justice demands that the wild creatures of the earth be allowed to flourish as much as possible free of human exploitation. And justice demands that we share the earth's resources not only with our poorest human brothers and sisters, but also with the other creatures who inhabit the earth with us. I'll end with a prayer from Basil the Great. He writes in the 4th century, and he prays for a right understanding of humanity's relationship with the rest of God's creation. O God, enlarge within us the sense of fellowship with all living things, our brothers, the animals to whom thou gavest the earth as their home in common with us. We remember with shame that in the past we have exercised the high dominion of humankind with ruthless cruelty, so that the voice of the earth, which should have gone up to you in song, has been a groan of travail. May we realize that they live not for us alone, but for themselves and for you, and that they love the sweetness of life. A word of wisdom for us in our day and age. Thanks for joining us for another Holden Village podcast. Be sure to view the links in the description for more information, or visit our website to find out more about the village. We hope you will make a pilgrimage to Holden. Blessings and peace to you.